0: An elderly woman walked into a local country church, and the friendly usher greeted her at the door, helped her up the steps, and uh, asked, where would you like to sit? And she said, I would like to sit in the front row, please. And he said, well, you really don't want to sit in the front row because our preacher's really boring. She said, well, I want to sit in the front row. She said, do you know who I am? He said, no, I'm the preacher's mother. (laughs) He said, do you know who I am? No. Good. Now, I tell that today because uh, today we're going to do something we do like once or twice a year, just give you a congregational update. And some of you may find this a little bit boring, but I know others have said you really appreciate these. And either way, it is important we talk about what God is doing in this church at this time. Paul's letter to the churches were pretty much what we're doing today, his letters, plural, uh, he addressed specific needs in those churches, and he gave them direction, and that's what we want this to be today. Specifically, we're going to talk about the prospect of hiring an additional minister. This is a new step for us as a congregation, and it's a new position. I want to begin by introducing our elders, because some of you are new, and you may not know them very well. Actually, some of our elders are relatively new, so I'm going to have them stand and introduce them. First of all, Dave Roland, if you'd stand He's in the back there. He is our oldest elder, and he's even older than I am. Hallelujah. He's been on the eldership the longest, and if I were to use one word for Dave, it would be servant. He is usually behind the scenes, but willing to do whatever. He's also the Barnabas of the group. He's an encourager, and he's the most steeped in the restoration movement out of which our Christian churches came. Rob Powell, if you'll stand, he's usually down here. There he is. He works with our youth every Sunday night. Last month, he went on the CIY trip. He's also uh, has a big heart for missions. He's been on the mission field. He is our missions chairperson. Rob meets with me just about every week for prayer. He also sends us articles and suggests books to read. He is he's very knowledgeable of the Bible and has a great heart for ministry. Tracy Dyer is a Sunday school teacher. Tracy's way back there since he's on worship team. Tracy's been an elder before. He also preaches when called upon. He helps with worship as he is this morning. He initiated the Refresh Wednesday service. He leads small groups. He, too, is well-read and knowledgeable of the Bible, and he has a weird sense of humor, and we love it. And then Ryan Mott, who is just up here to do the community meditation right down here, uh, he has a great heart for children and orphans. He and Deanne have adopted three children that we have all grown to love. They recently led the mission trip to Uganda and have been a major, major helper in assisting the Wakeman family this summer. Ryan uh, has been amazing, as a rock in a very difficult time. He's also worked with our youth in the past in an archery ministry. He doesn't say a lot, but when he talks, (laughs) it's usually good. So, very good. Those are our elders, and of course, we lost a major part of our eldership when Micah Wakeman passed away a couple months ago. So these guys are still grieving. So I'd ask you to be praying for them for all of us. There are several biblical truths that have come up in this process of talking about looking for a minister, and one of them is church leadership and what the Bible says about it. First of all, the, the biblical church leadership is a plurality. It is not one person. The elders as a group are the overseers. We do not believe in the concept of one pastor or one bishop. I am, according to our bylaws, an ex-officio member of the eldership, and biblically, I am an elder. So we five are the pastors or the elders of the church, and we have five perspectives on things, not just one. And the job of these five is to see to the health of the congregation like a shepherd cares for the sheep, and do everything to protect the congregation, and see that the congregation is well-fed and cared for. And one of those jobs is to make decisions that impact the congregation and the kingdom of God at large. Here's the second truth. The church is not a democracy. It is a theocracy. Democracy is ruled by the people. Theocracy is ruled by God. God makes the decisions. And God has clearly told us what He wants us to do. Our mission is to love Him above all else, and then love our neighbors as ourselves, love others, and then to reach the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our mission given to us from our commander. And every decision the elders make are to carry out and fulfill that mission. The elders' role is to seek God's will for the church. And they have an obligation to the best of their ability to answer one question. What does God want us to do? And that should always be the first question for any church. Here's the third truth. God is a provider. Now, we all know that up here, but sometimes I think we forget that. Our God has promised to provide what we need not necessarily everything we want, but what we need. And this is the most astounding, wonderful part of this whole discussion and process we've come to point to, to this point today. And that's our amazing providing God. Because we were recently blessed with a financial gift that is designated to pay for our youth minister's salary for the next three or four years. And no, this wasn't Garrett's mother. <laughs> but I, I've never seen anything like this. But this is just an example of how God provides. Because of this gift, we have some funds freed up in our general fund to use elsewhere. And the elders have talked about this for over a year. And one of the big needs they have recognized is this need for an additional minister. They saw this need before I did. They could see some things that were needing to get done. And I, to be honest, I've been slower about this than the rest of the leadership. So these elders have talked and prayed we have done our research, we've talked to businessmen, we've talked to farmers, who are also businessmen, we've talked to other people in our congregation of various life settings and occupations, we've heard some of the concerns people have, we've talked to other churches, and we've heard a variety of responses, but overall, we're getting the confirmation from several directions that this is the correct move, and this is the time to look to hire an associate minister of administration. This is a unanimous decision, and it is a decision not made lightly. Here's the amazing thing because of this gift and God's providence, His providential care, this additional minister will not change the budget significantly. We have one salary that's going to be paid, Garrett's, so we can secure this new person without adding very much to the general fund needs. Now, there's going to be some additional costs because we ministers, we spend money, you know. We need computers and things like that. But this is just amazing. This is a new position with some defined parameters, a position I don't think we've ever had in this church. Now, I think people do wonder at times, what do you do all week, Weber? You only work one day a week, don't you? Do we really need another minister? So what do ministers do? I am glad you asked. I think this will help us to see why we need this. Most preachers, first of all, would say they need 20 hours a week for sermon preparation. That's a big chunk of time. My sermons are 8 to 10 pages long, single-spaced, every week. That's a term paper, every week. And I consider that the primary work of my week, to consider what God's Word has to say to God's people. And beyond sermon preparation, there's lesson preparation for any teaching I might do and preparation for Vander service every week. And then beyond that, there are so many other things. I decided to categorize them into these four general areas of church ministry. By the way... The elders have seen this manuscript and approved it and made adjustments to all this. So this is a message from five elders, not just me. So if you like this, tell me about it. If you don't like it, talk to one of them about it. Okay. Anyway, we categorize ministry into four general areas, and I don't do all these. I could not do all these, but all these need someone to oversee or make sure it gets done, or at least there's a contact person for these, and all these involve in some way paid ministerial staff. Four broad categories, discipleship, developing followers of Jesus. That would include teaching, preaching, all the preparation involved in that, small groups, Sunday school, youth, children's ministry, big Wednesday, refresh, evangelism, men's ministry, women's ministry, talking to people, considering membership or baptism, orientation for new members, missions and mission trips. There's just a lot. And I don't do all that, but if there's an issue in any of these areas, it usually comes back to one of the paid staff. And that's fine. That's our job. One thing I love about ministry is all the variety. It's never boring. The second broad category is pastoral. Caring for the flock, counseling, calling, hospital visitation, nursing home ministry, in-home visitation, meals to those who come from home from the hospital, prayer ministry, communion calls every week, funerals, weddings, crisis intervention, conflict resolution, family intervention, benevolence, connecting spot, et cetera, et cetera. This is a huge part of ministry because it's about people, and people take time. And when people aren't given time, they feel neglected or even offended. Now, again, I don't do all that, but I do a lot of it. And what others do, I have to oversee, or someone has to oversee. Third area is Administrative. Overseeing facilities, staff, volunteer coordination, staff and elders' meetings and agendas, fundraising, meeting with ministry leaders, recruiting special events, which include something like the Mother's Day brunch or any all church party we might have. Administration would also include working with legal issues, budgeting and spending issues, the church bus, the church van, ordering kitchen supplies, cleaning supplies, office equipment, the schedule for outside groups using the Family Life Center, chairs set up and take down, and on and on and on. Last month, I had my eyes opened on this one. We had a congregational meeting, and I remember on the following Monday, July 17th, the ice machine went out back in the kitchen, the, the air conditioner and the ice room went out, the freezer went out, so Teresa and I had to come in and clean that out, the door on the convection oven was broken, we discovered, we had several exterior doors of our buildings that were not working right, had to find someone to fix them. Uh, We found out that we had several chairs that need repair or replacing, and 90% of my day was spent on administrative and facilities. Not much sermon work that day and nothing for people. Next day, July 18th, Tuesday, the bus was in a fender bender who takes care of the insurance issues and the matters. Along with that, who makes sure the bus driver's names are on the insurance and who makes sure the bus driver's a credential and who makes sure the bus is inspected and kept up. Also, on Tuesday, we checked the baptistry, and it, needed a it was a mess, and it needed attention. That's two days just for facilities, and it is not let up. Ask Teresa. It has been overwhelming the past couple of months. She's been swamped. Now, we have volunteers that have stepped up and done amazing stuff, a lot of work. We probably have better volunteerism right now than ever. But we need someone to coordinate and oversee all those administrative parts of the church and help also with the pastoral and discipleship because one person cannot do it all. We've had, quite frankly, some things fall through the cracks the past few years that are dangerous to the well-being of our church. I cannot divulge everything, but you have to trust the leaders on this. There is a need for some help. Fourth category is leadership vision casting, looking to the future, making decisions for the health of the church, leadership development, being a support person, uh, setting up a support system for ministry leaders. There's also, of course, communications with letters and stewardship letters and follow-up letters and what goes into the bulletin and just a lot of correspondence things. There's just a lot that goes into a healthy church, and I can't even tell, tell you about it all. It's just hard to quantify it. Along with that, we ministers have to have time to read and do research, and read books and articles to keep ourselves fresh and keep up with theology and church leadership. And even more important, we need some time to pray, some time to talk to God. I would hope you'd want your ministers to talk to God. And most of what I've mentioned here is not initiating anything new that would advance the kingdom. Right now, we're in maintenance mode. We're we're keeping our head above water. It's hard sometimes, but we're understaffed, and we have been for quite some time. Moequa Christian Church is a town about our size, a church in a town about our size south of Decatur. Their church is a little larger. They run in the mid-300s. We run around 300. They have five full-time ministers and two secretaries. Athens Christian Church is smaller than us, a little smaller than us, four full-time ministers. We have two. Other churches in our setting have the same, seen the same need for full-time leadership because ministry takes time. And we simply do not have this ministerial staff to do all that needs to be done adequately. And if we continue as is, we are convinced ministry will suffer or plateau or even decline. And volunteers will be frustrated and discouraged. So what will the new minister do? He'll do everything I don't want to do. (laughs) (laughs) Not really. But he and I will share in various areas of ministry. Both of us will share in the pastoral side because that's about people. We'll both share in the leadership side. I will still be the primary preacher. Plus, I will be focusing more on the discipleship end of things. Sunday school, small groups, new member orientation, follow-up on guests and things like that. He or she will focus more on the administrative side. The new person will replace Teresa if that's possible. By the way, mini announcement here teresa has agreed to stay on to help a little longer through this transition time and thank goodness she has been a godsend uh, we couldn't do it without her yeah so we will also share in the preaching, teaching, and calling, all the other aspects of ministry. So generally speaking, I'm going to be the discipleship emphasis, the new person would be administrative emphasis, and both of us will work with the pastoral and leadership side. Now, some are concerned that adding staff will take away ministry by volunteers. You know, we're hiring someone to do all the work, why can't you just get more volunteers to do the work? Having a lot of volunteers does not make the need for paid staff less. Rather, it makes the need for paid staff greater. Because all those volunteers have to have someone they come to for help and direction and encouragement, training sometimes, coordination and more. Otherwise, we'll have chaos and a lot of frustration and a lot of dropouts. This person will not displace people in ministry, but will add more people to the ministry. This is a common fact in any church. When good staff is hired, more people are energized to serve. Which leads to another biblical issue. Church leaders are to equip others. So we are hiring a person to empower others to do the work of service. Ephesians 4, 11, 12 says, So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to do what? To do everything in the church so nobody else has to do everything. That's not what it says. To do what? To equip His people for works of service. To equip the church. So that the body of Christ may be built up. The minister's job is not to do all the work. That is unbiblical, it is unhealthy, it is unrealistic. The minister's job is to equip and build up others. That's what makes for a healthy congregation. If you hire four or five people to do all the work, you have a sick church. But if you have 100 people doing the work, you're much healthier. But if you have 100 people, you need some full-time people to coordinate and oversee. Here's another factor, a sociological fact. If the church is healthy, the more staff you have, the more people you will reach. And I think this is the most important point. More people will experience the love of Jesus. Now, some people are drawn to Garrett. They just like him, and they click with him. He's effective with them. How many of you like Garrett? Yeah, yeah everybody likes Garrett. He's been a wonderful addition to our staff, an amazing youth minister. And then there's some people who are drawn to me, believe it or not. There's people I connect with, and they connect with me. There's not as many as there are with Garrett, but there's some. And then there's people that neither Garrett nor I connect with. And this new staff person will connect to people we don't connect with. This new person will inspire them, and they will volunteer and and be drawn in. Uh, That's one reason we want someone who's not as old as me, or someone who's as young as Garrett, but someone at a different stage of life, a different demographic, and he will reach people who are not... We're not presently reaching people who will come to know the saving love of Jesus. That's, the, that's what it's all about. So the big question the elders have had to ask, are we staffed to grow or are we staffed to decline? Are we staffed to reach more people for Jesus or are we staffed to struggle? And right now, we're staffed to decline. And we feel the best we can do right now is maintain, and we've been maintaining for a couple of years now and been coasting. Not intentionally, it's just reality. And when you coast, which direction are you going? Yeah, downhill. So God looked at this and he said, you know, Mount Pulaski Christian Church, I think you need a little help. And he made it possible for us to add to our ministry. There's so much good right now. 50 people went to CIY, 40 kids. I think that's a record. Over 100 men have said, I am second. I'm ready to serve, and some are already serving. Refresh on Wednesday nights has amazed me. Fifty people on average, most of them young people, many high schoolers. Uh, Some who never come to church on Sunday morning have come on Wednesday night. It's been an outreach. People are volunteering. We've had several baptisms in the last few weeks. Sunday school is growing. I mean, there is momentum, and this additional minister will help keep that momentum and even add to it. Now, there is time to talk about the elephant in the room, money. And specifically, our debt. Drat! If only we didn't have to talk about debt. It is a concern. It is a reality. And our hope and prayers that the debt will be eliminated as soon as possible. However, we also the big believe the big picture has to be the overriding factor in this decision. We must find a balance between two things, and that is debt and ministry. And that's where we're at right now. Both of those require money. And if we give too much emphasis and attention to ministry on the one side and ignore the debt, that would be irresponsible. But if we give too much attention, resources to the debt and allow ministry to suffer, that would be irresponsible. We've talked to some businessmen in the church and asked if our thinking is wrong on this, and they said they faced the same challenge, servicing the debt and yet maintaining enough employees and resources to keep the business healthy. One businessman said that he could pay off the debt sooner, but if he did, his business would suffer because he wouldn't have enough employees enough not enough help. So the point is, if the debt is our primary focus, if all our attention is on debt reduction, but we neglect the more important side of things, which is ministry, I believe God will move His hand to blessing, because I've seen this. I've seen churches where money dominates and becomes the slave driver, and it kills them. And I think we'd all agree that ministry is more important than debt. With that said, here's the worst-case scenario. Our debt should be gone in about four years after we refinance in February. That's the worst-case scenario if we just keep paying as we are. We are confident it will be paid off sooner. This fall, we're asking everyone to give an extra gift to reduce it, maybe even eliminate it. But to let the debt dominate our decision-making is not where we're at. Ministry has to be our primary focus. How best can we reach our community and our world with the gospel? How best can we minister to families and youth and older people? And by focusing too much on the debt, people will suffer. And the church is about people. In the bulletin, everyone can see that we are behind on the general fund giving for the year. And you might wonder, can we afford this? Very good question. You'll also see that we are ahead in paying on the debt. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So let me comment on this in a couple of ways. First of all, we're just coming out of the summer months when giving is usually lower, and the good news is that usually giving increases toward the end of the year, and usually we make up ground by the end of the year. Here's the second thing. The general fund balance is really in pretty good shape. We have been able to manage things, cut some expenses, So that since July of last year, July 31st of last year, our balance has not changed dramatically. Now, here's our balance uh, last year, 2016, almost $93,000, which looks like a lot of money, and it is. But churches, like any business, or even like a a home or a good budget, you have to have some kind of a cushion, an emergency fund for several months' expenses. There's months our expenses exceed our income by over $20,000, so it fluctuates greatly, so we have to have a, a cushion there. And that's normal procedure for any church. So that's what we had last year, July 31st. This year, July 31st, that's our general fund balance. It's actually gone up about a 1000 Now, it's been way up and down the last 12 years, twelve months, and I'll just tell you, and we've gotten this way by holding off on some expenses, and we're going to have to do some things uh, the rest of the year here. I mean, we have an air conditioner out, freezer and ice machine. We got, we've had some roof problems. Someday we're going to have to get a new projector in here too. Not this year, but, but we just want you to see, here's where we're at. And yes, our finances are tight, and we cannot do some things because of them, but it is not near as bleak as some people might think. It blows my mind again, though. We can get a badly needed staff person for very little change in our budget. We have a salary for a youth minister given to us. God is providing, and that frees up money for this new minister. What happens in three or four years after the gift runs out? First, we believe we'll be a healthier church in three years because of this decision. If we make the right hire, it will enhance our ministry and draw new people in. Second, we project the debt being paid off by the time this gift runs out, and that will free up funds to pay this extra salary. We are praying that the debt get paid off in February. We're praying for a miracle. I would ask you to pray for that. We would ask you to pray for that. Do not underestimate our God. Who knows? And we also realize this is an act of faith. We could use the extra money on the debt and put it toward the debt, but we believe that would be a big mistake for many of the reasons we've already cited. Hebrews 12 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Notice those words, confidence and assurance that comes from faith. We do not see everything the future holds, and that's scary. If we could see the future, then it would not be faith. Here's another theological truth. Faith is not easy. If it were, it would not be faith. But God has provided in the past, and we are confident He has provided this gift for this purpose, and we are confident He'll provide in the future. That's just the kind of God He is. You will have a say in this. You will be given the opportunity to approve or disapprove the new minister. The Bible gives a place for the congregation to make decisions when it comes to selecting leaders in Acts chapter 6. We also have in our bylaws that the congregation has to approve any new ministers that are added. So you will be given a chance to approve or disapprove of this prospective associate minister. Your leaders love you. I mean, they love this church, they love the Lord and His kingdom, and they're accountable for the health of this church. And they know the easy decision is to maintain and put more money on the debt and play it safe. That's the easy decision we think that'd be a mistake. And several of you have encouraged us. I even got a text this morning about this. People are saying, you guys were put there to make the tough decisions. You have been entrusted to do the research and to seek God's will, so do your job and we'll support you. And that's what the Bible says in Hebrews 13. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Your elders are deeply humbled by this responsibility, and they know they are accountable to God, and they do not make this decision lightly or without much prayer and forethought. They would ask you to pray about this, because this is a critical and exciting juncture in the life of this church, and we are going to start talking to prospective ministers, and we welcome your input on that. Uh, The elders will be available this Thursday, and you can sign up at one of the tables at each either entrance. You can come in and meet them. We'll probably call you to set up the actual time, but if you want to talk to them this Thursday, sign up, and you can come and talk to them about what we talked about this morning or anything that's on your mind or heart. We just strongly feel this, if we go this direction, it will be a new day, new ministries will be created, existing ministries strengthened, new people won to Christ, volunteers encouraged, and the whole church will be blessed. Praise God. I would like us to praise God right now for His gift of provision and for how He's, not just this one gift, but all the provision that He gives to us. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing the doxology. I think most of you know this. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Father, we do praise you. We thank you for what you have done in this church for over a hundred years. And we look forward in faith to see what you're going to do in the next hundred. It is just amazing to have a God like you. Thank you for loving us, for blessing us, and leading us. And we do this all in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.